0: Hey, everybody, I want to talk to you for a second here about Canva, specifically Canva presentations that are designed for every workplace and every department. Whether you work in sales, marketing, HR, ops, and more, Canva presentations can generate any deck you want for work. Sales decks, marketing presentations, onboarding plans, you name it. Any department can save time on any presentation. So start designing today at canva.com. Design for work. Just go to canva, C-A-N-V-A dot com. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Welcome to Stuff You Should
1: Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark with Charles W. Chuck Bryant and Jerry. So it's Stuff You Should Know. Mm-hmm. And Chuck. Yes. We uh, have done some stuff before that relates to this episode. Okay. Is high fructose corn syrup bad for you? That's right. <laughs> How McDonald's works? Yeah. How Twinkies work? Yeah. Uh, well, that's it. I bet there's more. Probably. I can't think of it right now. Are zoos good or bad for animals? Does your grandfather's diet affect you? Yeah, true that. You know, you know, they eat junk food might. And well, yeah. So you, the future grandfather, listening today, uh huh. You're screwing up your grandkids' health right now. That's right. Go listen to our epigenetics episode. Yeah,
0: junk food is uh, ubiquitous now, and it wasn't in my grandparents' day. No.
1: You know? No, they had lame, lame diets.
0: Yeah, it was, yeah of, of whole foods and <laughs> all these natural things.
1: Well, that's something that this article, I thought, was smart to point out, that back in the day, before junk food, It didn't mean everybody was just eating like hippies or something like that. Like they were just these wonderful, like wholesome spreads at every meal or something like that. They ate like crud or they ate the same thing or there were plenty of times where they were like, I would kill you for a tomato right now in the day of winter. Um,
0: I'm tired of eating this 40 ounce steak covered in gravy.
1: Exactly. Every night. Yeah. Um, but they did not have access to mass produced, um, really fundamentally unhealthy food like we do today. That's right. And that's the definition of junk food, really.
0: That's right. Junk food, you might have heard of like empty calories. Um, That's what junk food is. It's food that has either zero or very little nutritional value.
1: But has a lot of calories. But has a ton of calories. Usually in the form of carbs, which um, is usually a shot of way more energy than you need. Yeah. That donut stick. It's tasty. What's a donut stick? Oh, there's donut sticks. Okay.
0: What is it though? Is it just like a? Churro? It's exactly
1: what it sounds like. No, uh, it's a little Debbie device. Oh, 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 yeah, I know those. Okay, so th- it's a shot of energy <laughs> device. <laughs> Very rarely do you need like a shot of energy like that, especially when you're going to sit down in front of your computer for three hours straight. No. You don't need that. So what happens to that energy is it gets translated into fat, stored as fat. And just as bad, you don't get any nutritional value from it whatsoever. It doesn't contain dietary fiber usually. Nope. It doesn't have um, any of the minerals or vitamins that your body needs to like mount immune responses. Nope. And even worse, as we'll talk about later, it's entirely possible that it's contributing to things like um, a, a mental ill health. Sure. In you. Yeah. Mental health, physical
0: health. Yeah. Because uh, we're talking packaged sweet goods, we're talking soft drinks, uh, baked goods, salty stuff, man, stuff loaded with fat, all the good things. All the good things, right. <laughs> uh,
1: like when we were researching this... Um I was like, I want a donut right now. I'm going to go get a donut. Yeah. Maybe I'll get like a McGriddle or something too. Oh, goodness. Like I just wanted everything. I even thought like maybe I'll get a root beer somewhere. I don't even know where to get a root beer, but I was going to try and find one. You get a root beer or you get any other soda. And I, well, I I guess you probably could. That's what I was going on. Okay. (laughs) But I'm just saying I don't have personal experience buying root beer anywhere. I got a guy. That's what this article did (laughs) to me. You know what I mean? I got a guy who can get you some root beer. Good stuff? Yeah, you just stick with me afterward. Alright. I'll introduce you. Thanks, man.
0: You gotta meet him first, but yeah. <laughs> After that, it's all good. <laughs> um, yeah, it's bad stuff. Um, so let's talk about junk food. Let's talk about the history, I guess, cause it's, um, it's pretty interesting in the, like we were saying before, before the dawn of the 19th century, um, people ate food mostly from stuff that they grew or harvested.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, it wasn't processed that much. And big changes came around when the Industrial Revolution hit, and all of a sudden, people could get cheap flour. That
1: was the big turning point. The big turning
0: point. Cheap flour in your home.
1: Right. And the story of junk food is essentially the story of the industrialization of food. Yeah. Like, before we had food that was bad for you, like, caramels were introduced by the Arabs probably about a thousand years ago, somewhere around there. Yum. Um, Chocolate's been around for a very long time. Yeah. Cookies, the, the, the dude who founded Keebler, Mr. Keebler, mm-hmm. he had a bakery in the early 19th century. Like, people were making stuff that wasn't good for you, but they were making it, and it was a pain in the neck to make it. Yeah. So they weren't making it all of the time. You couldn't just go anywhere and get it. And that is inherently the problem with junk food today, is it's everywhere, and it's cheap, and it's easy to get.
0: Yeah, and there were, uh, there were a lot of other factors that contributed to the rise of junk food. Um, besides the industrialization, uh, people moved to cities and away from farms. Yeah. And, uh, if you're living in the middle of New York City in 1800, you're not going to have a big farm, a yeah. lettuce farm in your backyard.
1: So long canned lettuce <laughs> that you canned the winter before. That's right.
0: Uh, civil war. That, uh, during- that's what
1: I know about canning. <laughs>
0: Oh uh, well, we used to can when I was a kid. I think I told that story. Did you? Yeah, my mom used to take me to the cannery and can stuff. I thought like the cannery we were was for like
1: th- really. Yeah. Wow. Where was the cannery?
0: Uh, it was the Cab County Cannery over like off Memorial Drive.
1: So it was just like the facilities you needed to can your own stuff.
0: Yep. That's pretty neat. And you could show up with your green beans right? and your uh, peaches, and you could can that stuff.
1: Yeah, I've never canned, but I do eat a lot of canned stuff, because pickled things are very, very good for you.
0: Yeah, and things in the can aren't necessarily terrible for you.
1: No, no, and when you're saying canned, like cans were not involved at all. I, I'm guessing like glass jars were. No, we canned silver cans. Oh, wow. Yeah. Man, that is serious stuff. Yeah, it was pretty cool. You're like a Steinbeck family or something.
0: I just remember it was awful as a kid. Now I would totally get into it. But back then, it was the most boring place on earth for a kid to be.
1: Wrong. Tire store is the most boring place on earth for a kid to be. Wrong.
0: Fabric store. (laughs)
1: Uh, I will say fabric store is definitely up there. I have to say, man, and I tweeted about this. You, me, and I went to the fabric store the other day. Uh And I was looking around like, what are some of you people doing in here? Oh yeah. There were a the lot people of people or the fabrics. People. Oh, okay. A lot of people I would not have expected are into sewing. And like I'm like, okay, everybody sews. Like the entire spectrum of humanity was represented in this fabric store. Well, that doesn't mean they sew necessarily. Uh, no, they were searching for fabrics and like looking at them and comparing them to other fabrics. They they all sewed.
0: Well, but that does, just because you buy fabric doesn't mean you sew. They could upholster.
1: Oh, okay. That's, that to me falls under sewing. (laughs) It is one of the industrial arts on its own, true. But I think of upholstery as sewing to an extent. Even though there's no sewing involved necessarily. And these people better not have been upholstering anything (laughs) with their pink velour leopard fabric that they bought.
0: Yeah, fabric stores are pretty amazing when you go in, like the stuff that, you can tell it's been sitting on the shelf since, like, 1975. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah, my mom used to take me to the fabric store, so I have I kind hated of, it. I didn't like it either, but it wasn't like a tire store to me. Like getting tires put on your car? Yeah, because not only is there nothing for you to do as a kid, no. except to, like, run your hand over the little prickly things on the new tire. You sure. The smell in there just yeah. made it just even worse.
0: And unless you're into reading, like, Car and Driver magazine, uh-huh. then you're out of luck. Yep. Drinking bad coffee. That's that where you started
1: drinking coffee when you are like eight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just to kill the boredom. So wait, are we agreed that the tire store is the worst of all?
0: Uh oh sure. Really? For me it was the fabric store, but uh I'm sure I have bad memories of the tire store. Okay. In the cannery. Oh man, that was a good one. it was about seven seven minutes, huh?
1: Yeah. I know you had some time. Side
0: trackage. Yeah. All right. Back to the American Civil War. Oh yeah. Um Another reason that uh, fast food and junk food became, and those are two different things we should point out. Um, fast food isn't always junk food.
1: No, anybody who's been to a Chipotle can tell you that.
0: Yeah, it went yesterday.
1: Nice. They're trying to do it right. Great stuff.
0: You know? Um, which they're not McDonald's associated anymore. You know that, right?
1: No, I don't understand why McDonald's divested. Because that stock went through the roof.
0: If I'm not mistaken, Chipotle was like, uh, wanted the separation.
1: I I would guess McDonald's would be like TS. We own like tons of shares of you. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not sure how that
0: went down. It's weird. It's probably a good thing though. Yeah. For Chipotle, you know. And McDonald's is in big trouble.
1: Uh yeah. I will be very surprised if there's not McDonald's 50 years from now.
0: No, no, no. I don't think that, but they just had their big uh quarterly uh pow wow and they're they're all pretty scared. No, no, I
1: know. Like, like they're right
0: now. Their money is way down. Their profits are way down. Right. Because like Five Guys and all these other burger chains, that
1: definitely are- eating into their market share. Yeah. The problem is, is McDonald's is tr- is chasing after everything right now, rather than well, saying yeah. this is what we do. Mm-hmm. This is why people come to McDonald's.
0: Yeah, I don't want to go to Mc. If I go to McDonald's, it's because uh, I'm hungover and I want a quarter pounder. Exactly. I don't want a, a McFresh Wrap.
1: Right, and it's you don't even want something at the level of Five Guys. Like, you want down and yeah, dirty McDonald's. That familiar taste. And the sooner McDonald's realizes that, that's what mm-hmm. people want from McDonald's and just says, here you go. If you want it, come get it. Yeah. Um, fantastic. Have you and seen the artisan grilled chicken? It, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. what is that? That's not okay. That's not McDonald's. Well,
0: plus what is disturbing about it is you'll see the commercials say, now it's a better quality chicken, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's basically admitting like. Right, it well, makes what our you, other
1: chickens look like mutant yeah, crap. Like what were you giving us before? Or still. Yeah. In the other menu items. <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: American Civil War.
1: Right. I forgot we're there again.
0: In the Civil War, troops started eating rations for the first time. Little, uh, easy to eat canned processed garbage. Basically
1: And they were like, this is really good.
0: Yeah, they got hooked on it and when they came back, they wanted the same familiar taste. and um, that's sort of how fast food uh, grew. Food vendors started you know parking their carts outside of uh, factories and
1: stuff right And that, that was sort of like the first fast food chain. Well, not just that. that's where diners came from. Those food carts that were parked outside for um, people coming off of like the night shift or whatever when all the restaurants were closed. Um they eventually took the wheels off and added like seating inside and that's where the diners originally came from.
0: Yeah. And of course that all came about because of the suburban sprawl and the birth of the automobile. Right. Um let's talk about a few of these uh you found this great article on um what was it called?
1: New York Times?
0: Yeah. <laughs> but what was the article <laughs> called? <laughs>
1: Uh, I don't remember what it was called. Let us now praise the great men of junk food.
0: Yes, that was, it was a great one. And so they listed some of the early, some of the first junk food in the United States. And the first snacky junk food they credit as being Cracker Jacks. Yeah. Um, introduced at the World's Fair in 1893 by the brothers Frederick and Louis or Louis, uh, Rukheim. Mm
1: Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Cracker Jacks is delicious. It's still around today. Right. And, and the, the thing with Cracker Jacks is, again, there was recipes like that in existence prior to Cracker Jacks, right? Sure. Same with caramel, same with chocolate. People made this stuff. But what the Ruckheim brothers did was they took it, they figured out a way to produce it on a larger scale, yep. sell it, and, and this is one of the hallmarks of junk food. They figured out a way to market it effectively. That little prize. That's exactly right. That basically established the rule book for junk food from then till now.
0: Yeah. Uh, The Tootsie Roll is another good example. In 1905, um, there was candy before that, but this is the first one to be individually wrapped. You know, that didn't come in a packet of six or eight. Right. So you could take a penny, a little shiny copper penny. Yeah. And you could get a Tootsie Roll. Right. And forever. you didn't
1: have to like pick the hair off of it first because <laughs> it was wrapped individually.
0: That's right. Uh, 1923, I, th- I like this story. Um, an 11-year-old named Frank Epperson um, left on a cold night in San Francisco, left his powdered soda drink uh, with a stirring stick in the cup, came out the next day and it was frozen, mm-hmm. and he ate it. He said, this is amazing. I'm going to wait 20 years <laughs> and then patent this. Yeah. And not quite 20 years, about 18 years later, he basically applied for a patent and called them uh Epsicles. was Everybody like, you Epperson. idiot. idiots. <laughs> and his children said, hey, Pop, why don't you call them Popsicles? And so the Popsicle was born.
1: Yeah. So and his like, children never saw a penny of that money.
0: Another junk food. Did they not? I'm just teasing. Yeah, okay.
1: <laughs> what about, uh, do you know much about potato chips? Uh, no. So, we could sit here for hours and hours and do this, cause every junk food has a great origin story. Sure. There's a, there's a book that did this for us. It's called The Encyclopedia of Junk Food and Fast Food. Yeah. And it's on academia.edu, mm-hmm. which is basically apparently they upload books onto this thing and you can read them. Neat. Yeah. So, um, Potato chips, the the legend goes that it was invented in the 1850s in Saratoga, New York by a guy, a chef named George Crew, I believe. And um, that's not true. They'd been around for at least 30 years before that. Oh, yeah. But that's the popular story. And um, around the 1850s, 1870s, 1880s, people started manufacturing them en masse. Uh-huh. But they were delivered in barrels, and then the customers would come and be like, uh, I brought my own brown paper bag, shovel some potato <laughs> chips into this, yeah. and I'll go home and warm them up, and they'll be stale. And so the part of the mass commercialization of this junk food mm-hmm. was to figure out how to package it and preserve it so that they didn't go stale, yeah. and people didn't have to bring their own bag from home to go buy potato chips. They could just buy the bag and take it home. Wow. And it took until the 1930s to figure that out. How long was that? What? The 1880s is when we really started to sell them. So it took
0: like 50 years (laughs) to get them packaged correctly? Yeah. Interesting. Uh, Soda soda drinks, soft drinks, soda pop, pop, Coke, depending on where you're from, you're going to call it something different. Right. Uh, That goes back to 17th century Europe uh, when they had carbonated water mixed with lemon juice and honey. And um, many years later, in 1976, 7-Eleven introduced the world to the Big Gulp. Yeah. Which was uh 32 ounces of um, of nasty stuff. <laughs> right. And then in 1988, they said, how about doubling down on that? And they created the double Big Gulp.
1: Right. And then Mayor Bloomberg was like, no, no. Oh, they got rid of those, didn't they? I, I think. Or they tried to? Yeah, they definitely tried to. I don't know if it went through or not. In New York City?
0: Yeah. Yeah, Emily still drinks the Diet Coke Big Gulp every day, and I'm just like you just can't do that to yourself.
1: Yeah uh, there's there's got to be something really really wrong with it. There has to be It's just oh, yeah, too it too is. much science like in one concentrated form, you know yeah but what's funny is Coke, Pepsi hires root beer, uh, Dr. Pepper, they all started out as elixirs and tonics yeah that were sold at the pharmacy that's right like that's where you got those originally and then they became one of the most ubiquitous unhealthy drinks on the planet.
0: All right, so we've talked a lot about, We could, like you said, we could go on all day talking about the history of different junk foods. You got one more? I got one more. (laughs)
1: Okay. The world's first combination candy bar. There were chocolate bars before it was. The first candy bar. Uh Uh-huh. Clark Bar. Really? Yeah. Which is... uh, It's like a Butterfinger, but better.
0: Is it? It's better. Because it was first.
1: Right. And it's Clark. You got any more? I've got more, but I'll stop. Right. Pop tarts used to be <laughs> called the um fruit scone. They used to be called ep tarts. And oh, I've got uh, this is this is very important actually, Chuck. All right. This is possibly the mind-blower of the podcast. And this is a mind-blowing episode mm-hmm. so far. Oreos mm-hmm. was the knockoff. Hydrox was the original. No way. Way. How did they get market share? Oreo? Yeah. Just by tasting way way better, I guess. Interesting.
0: Yeah. So Hydrox is like made fun of. Like, I got Hydrox when I was a kid because they're a little cheaper, I think.
1: <laughs> yeah. You know? But they were the original ones and Hershey, or uh, Oreos was the, the rival, the competitor knockoff of Hydrox.
0: I wish I would have known that. Although I'm not sure it would have worked in elementary school if people were like, you can't afford Oreos. I'm like, this was the original. <laughs> I'll have you know. <laughs> it's disgusting, <laughs> but it's the it came first. Ugh, and I can't even get the cookie apart without it breaking. Oh, Like the Oreo. Poor kid. All right, so after this break, we're going to come back and talk a little bit about the science of junk food.
1: Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. Goo Goo Cluster, first combination <laughs> candy, 1912. Pop Tarts are the knockoff. They were originally created to overcome the rival country squares.
0: Stop! I love how you said it quieter. Like, maybe Chuck won't notice. <laughs> right. It's sitting right across from this me. This is just between you and me, <laughs> listener. <laughs> Uh Although the bubble gum one was pretty cool, the guy invented. Clear. Yeah, he invented uh gum before bubble gum was just chewing gum.
1: Double bubble is what he came up with, right?
0: Uh, was it was a double bubble? Was the
1: first one? I think so. It was in that one New York Times article.
0: Yes, it was double bubble. Yeah, and he said that he died with a smile on his face because he brought so much joy to children all over the world. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't care about their dental habits. <laughs> All right, so the science of junk food um, is actually pretty interesting because it's not just uh, – there's nothing willy-nilly about it. I no. Mean, these are very – there's a lot of money at stake. So companies throw a lot of dough into food laboratories um, finding what they refer to as that sweet spot.
1: Or the bliss point.
0: Yeah, the bliss point. Um, again, that article is really great
1: from New York Times. That was a different one. That one is called The Extraordinary Science of Addictive Junk Food.
0: Oh, really? Yeah. It's very well, long, really very fit. good. Yeah. Um, but that bliss point or the sweet spot is what they're after. And what you're really talking about is mouthfeel, which we've talked about in, I think, Taste. <laughs> or no. Or something else more recently than that.
1: I think it has to do with bars. Remember, gum arabic gave a different mouthfeel. Oh, right, right. Um, to than just regular simple syrup. Yeah, that's right. Mouthfeel.
0: So, uh, Cheetos is one of the more famous junk foods of all time because it's sort of a wonder of science in that, um, it, it preys upon something called vanishing caloric density, which basically means you put a Cheeto or a cheese puff or a cheese doodle in your mouth mm-hmm. and you're going to chew it a couple of times and it's just going to sort of dissolve and your brain doesn't really register that it's even eating calories. That is why you eat an entire bag of Cheetos.
1: Yeah. Because we've evolved to see with our tongues, or to measure with our tongues, um, roughly the caloric density of a food. Yeah, because
0: when tuk-tuk was running around, Mm -hmm. they needed to eat efficiently, which means eating as many calories as they could Mm -hmm. with as little stuff going in their mouth as possible. Exactly,
1: right? So um, the tongue would learn to detect fat. Fat is extremely dense calorically. So after you eat a certain amount of fat, you get kind of this nasty feel in your mouth. Your mouth feel. It's kind of greasy, right? And you suddenly realize that you can't eat another bite of this fatty slab of pork fat. Mm. You know, Yeah, Yeah. it is good. But imagine eating a big toilet seat size slab of it. (laughs) You would not, right? You'd get sick from it. And the reason why is because your brain becomes satiated. Uh So- what these food scientists figured out is that they, if they can make something basically melt like a Cheeto, mm-hmm. it tricks your tongue into missing the fact that it's a really fatty food. And like you said, you can eat a whole bag of it thanks to that vanishing caloric density.
0: Well, uh, another thing they do is like, let's say you're eating a, a cheeseburger yeah. at from a fast food chain. And that has that same fatty feel. Yep. But they realize if you serve the uh, the soda with that, it balances things out to where you don't have that greasy mouthfeel any longer. Exactly. So that's, I mean, that's it, one reason why they sell sodas
1: at fast food chains. That's what a value meal comes from. It's not just like, yeah, we want to make, make sure you get your money's worth. No, they want to make sure that you're going to say, I could use another cheeseburger. <laughs> I'm back. Yep. I want another cheeseburger, please. And they say... Certainly. We will happily sell you one of those.
0: But see, I don't drink soda, so when I eat fast food... What do you drink? Water. Huh. Is that strange?
1: <laughs>
0: uh, No. Like, what else would I drink if not a soda?
1: Well, that's that's it. Oh, yeah. That's your choice. Yeah. So since Soda I'm- or nothing. You're yeah. not even allowed to drink water. You have to sit there and eat it dry.
0: Ugh. Well, although my uh, sister-in-law drinks milk with most meals. <laughs> I grew up like that. Like milk and pizza even.
1: Yeah, milk and everything. Yeah, not me. I've got a really disgusting milk and broccoli story that I'm not going to tell, but it is roadie. Come on. So you really want to hear it? Yeah, sure. Okay, well then, warning, for those of you (laughs) with a weak stomach, you really don't want to hear this.
0: Or if you're, I would say, eating broccoli or drinking milk, anytime soon, probably avoid it.
1: Okay. So um, I hate broccoli, but I used to really hate broccoli. Uh Uh-huh. And when I was a kid, like you just couldn't leave the table until you were done eating your vegetables. That'll trick. And we drank milk with every every meal. Mm-hmm. So I would I would eat the broccoli where I would take a bite and it would touch my tongue for a millisecond and I'd wash it down with like half a thing of milk, right? So
0: you're basically swallowing broccoli whole.
1: Right. Yeah. But I'm taking like a half a cup of milk for each swallow. Okay. So I kept having to drink more and more milk. I think I see where this is headed. Well, one night, my mom was working uh, a shift at the ER, uh-huh. and my dad was in charge of feeding me dinner. <laughs> I'm sure that was fun. And um, I'd gotten about halfway through my broccoli and had drank God knows how much milk with it when I, I took one more bite, and all of it just came right back up on my plate. Oh, man. And without looking, my dad was like looking up at the ceiling while he grabbed my plate. I was like, okay, I think that's enough for you, and like cleared the plate, and I thought, I won. So your dad cleared a plate of vomited up food without knowing it? No, without, like, purposely not looking at it. Oh, okay. He's like, okay, that's enough. Well, that was nice of him. It was. I didn't have to finish my broccoli. I
0: thought he was going to say, like,
1: eat it again.
0: Right. He (laughs) rubbed my face in it. My mom used to set the old oven timer. Remember that trick?
1: Oh, we didn't have time. It was just, you're not getting up. It doesn't matter what time it is. You can't get up and go to bed or watch tv or anything we had like you got 10
0: minutes to finish those green beans and i did the old trick that makes way more sense i was like i'm done i'm just going to the bathroom (laughs) right (laughs) it didn't work no no i thought i was smart all right so junk food is not healthy for you oh yeah we know
1: that tire stores
0: um the american civil war here are things that can happen if you eat too much junk food you're going to get obese uh, which means you're going to have an increased risk of heart disease. You may get type 2 diabetes. And like you said, with the mental side, you may become depressed. Because addiction, um, it has all the characteristics of just a, like a drug addiction or an alcohol addiction. Right. You binge on it. You withdraw from it. You um, get an increased tolerance from it. And
1: um, I, I have the impression that they have it figured out, like, that there really is a certain amount of addiction you can uh, you can get from eating junk food, sure, and that it's basically getting that pop that that blood sugar high yeah. rush that you're dropped off from very quickly, and then having to chase after it again, right? Chasing or, that think, high, chasing the dragon or something like that. I called. guess is what it's called. <laughs> um, and so th- you can display the the um, the signs of addiction from yeah. junk food as well. Um much more closely linked is the uh the connection between junk food and type two diabetes.
0: Yeah. Uh Americans um consume about twenty two teaspoons of sugar a day. <laughs> That's
1: so crazy on
0: average. Um a lot of this stuff comes from high fructose corn syrup, um candy, junk food, soft drinks. And um how that works is your body's gonna break that down, uh break down those carbohydrates and your blood sugar's gonna spike. Mm-hmm um which you know a, a single episode of your blood sugar spiking isn't the biggest deal in the world but when you repeatedly do that uh, to your pancreas um it's going to basically tire out and wear out those insulin producing cells and trigger type 2 diabetes
1: right because when you when you have glucose in your blood that's a good thing because that provides energy to your cells And insulin comes along and helps open up your cells to allow it to absorb the glucose and get it out of your bloodstream, right? But after being exposed to this time and time again, your cells stop absorbing glucose as well, so you have to produce more and more insulin. And eventually, like you were saying, those cells tire out, your pancreas can't produce enough insulin, and so you always have an elevated level of glucose in your bloodstream. Yeah. That's bad. That's real bad. That leads to nerve damage and blood vessel damage, which is associated with type 2 diabetes, and everything from heart disease to foot amputations can result. Crazy. Because, like, say with your foot, this always fascinated me. I was like, why would diabetes yeah. lead to your foot getting amputated? I'll tell you why. So, remember, glucose levels leading to nerve damage supposedly concentrates in the foot. Yeah. And you lose feeling in your foot, so even just like stubbing your toe badly can lead to an infection that you don't notice because you're not feeling the pain. Right. And all of a sudden, you have this uh, infection that's not being fought off properly because the blood circulation to your foot is diminished. Yeah. And next thing you know, you have gangrene, and your foot has to be amputated. Unbelievable. Because of type two diabetes.
0: Yeah. And isn't um I didn't look this up, but the way I understand it is you can reverse heading toward type two diabetes until you have type two diabetes and then you've got it. That's what it I th-
1: That's what I thought too, yeah.
0: Like you can't undo it once it's taken mm-hmm. hold.
1: Right. What you what you go through first is called insulin resistance, yeah. metabolic syndrome, or pre diabetes. Right. And you can catch that. You just need to go in for a physical like once a year or something like that. And you'll be able to catch whether or not you have pre diabetes. Yeah. And then you take certain measures to not get type 2 diabetes. But yeah, I think once you have type 2 diabetes, you got it for life. Yeah. Um, One other thing I wanted to say, uh, and it's not just about the health aspects of it, but there's this really great documentary narrated by Katie Couric Uh called Fed Up that I think everybody should see. And it's about this kind of stuff. Really good, really well done documentary.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of great food documentaries out right now Mm -hmm. um, that really go into what, the food industry has become these days mm-hmm. uh, very eye-opening stuff.
1: Yeah. Have you seen Super Size Me? Yeah, back I, when it came out. I have out. not. Oh, really? You know he's under fire for basically like a lot of people have tried to replicate his results and no one's been able to do it. Huh.
0: It was interesting at the time. Was
1: it? Have you seen Super High Me? Uh
0: yes. Is the, that any good? Doug Benson? Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. Gotcha. That was, uh, for those you who don't know, Doug Benson is a, a comedian mm-hmm. who is famous for uh, smoking tons of weed.
1: And he's got a documentary called Super High Me.
0: Yeah, in which I believe he smoked pot every day, all day, for 30 days. And then died. And uh, took a bunch of tests, like uh, brain tests and physicals and things like that, and then did not smoke at all, uh-huh. and then compared the two. How did it turn out? Well It was interesting. Some results were as you'd expect, and some surprised you. Huh. I'll have to see that. He's a funny guy, though. I like him. Yeah. Um, All right. So we'll take a break here. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about this really cool article, The Extraordinary Science of Addictive Junk Food.
1: Find Altoids in the checkout aisle. Grab your tin today. All
0: right. You sent me this article that we referenced, The Extraordinary Science of Addictive Junk Food, and it's really interesting. Um,
1: By Michael Moss, right? Was that his name? Pretty sure. It was in the New York Times in 2012
0: or 13. Yeah, and he basically details... uh, at first, a meeting in 1999 of the heads of some of the largest food companies in the world getting together um, to talk about the fact that all oh, these doctors are saying we're making junk, right? <laughs> people are getting obese. Yeah. And um, this this chemist basically thought I'm going to talk these people into sort of uh, reversing some of their their uh, practices uh, in the name of good health and was disappointed to find that they all kind of dug in and were like, no. Like, we're going to make this stuff and if people want it, they want it. Right. And we're not going to try and make a healthier snicker bar that doesn't sell because the name of the game is selling food.
1: Right. So I, I think mean, the way they put sense. it is nobody's holding a gun to these people's heads. Yeah. The thing is, is a lot of people... Controvert that point and say, you guys kind of use science to hijack our evolutionary processes and make it so that it's really, really difficult to refuse this food.
0: Right. Like the Cheetos. Right. That melt in your mouth and your brain doesn't realize it's eating all these calories. Yeah. uh, So you end up eating tons of Cheetos. Um, One of the most interesting stories in here, I thought, and he tells a bunch of sort of uh, histories of some of these junk foods. But... um, Lunchables was super interesting to me. Yeah. And I want to say nefarious almost, <laughs> you know, when you look at how it came about. Um, but basically what they, they did a lot of research uh, into, uh, motherhood and found that the biggest <laughs> challenge was time. Yeah. And moms don't have time. And I say moms, parents.
1: Well, this is 1985. So it was moms.
0: Yeah. That's true. Um, Parents and moms don't have time to get, uh, to get a good meal into their child. So we're also having a baloney crisis.
1: Right. Oscar Meyer <laughs> was like, nobody's eating olive loaf any longer right. and we're in a lot of trouble. So what are we going to do?
0: Yeah. These things came together to create, uh, the Lunchable, uh, which was a new convenient way to package food in a tray,
1: but it was the same stuff.
0: Yeah, sell that bologna. Yeah, again, it's all marketing and packaging. Yeah. Sell that bologna. They wanted to put bread in there, but of course, bread, you can't make bread last for two months. Right. Um, so they threw some crackers in there. Nice. Uh, they wanted cheese in there, because what goes better with bologna and crackers? Right. Cheese.
1: And then I think Oscar Mayer bought Kraft, so they just started using Kraft cheese. And both of them, by the way, were owned by Philip Morris, a cigarette manufacturer, who definitely has your health at heart.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, they did experiment with some different cheeses, and they found that like real cheese was no good. Uh, and the best, cheapest cheese that lasted the longest was not even cheese; it was cheese food,
1: <laughs> which I think is awesome. That it's its own category: cheese food. Cheese food. Yeah, but I hats off to him for trying real cheddar first.
0: Yeah, I guess so.
1: It's like the potato chips in a barrel, though. If they go stale, you can't you can't sell it. Yeah, this article points out that it takes. Several months for something to, from to go from the factory to the grocery store sell, shelf.
0: Yeah. So wait, that's the part I didn't get. the the, the
1: ham in those things <laughs> is good for several months. Yes. Oh, it's probably good for several years. How? Preservatives. Ah, the same thing that the poison squad was like testing against. Remember in the FDA episode? Yeah. It, these are the things that didn't make them sick. That's what preserves our food now. It's not necessarily good for you, but it won't make you sick immediately. And Chuck, there's one other thing I want to say. Yeah. Um, at, I've seen this a couple of places. Apparently, the apple that you buy at the store has been off the tree for an average of 14 months. Really? Yes.
0: And it's just, uh, the preservatives like
1: I, I baked don't, into I, the tree? I have no idea how they do it. 14 months is the average from tree to shelf for really? an apple. An apple. Then why that's does what. It go that's bad what a week Adam later gave my to house? Eve. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Interesting. I don't know, but I have seen it a couple places, and I would like to know if anyone out there knows that that is incontrovertibly untrue. Yeah. Or if it is true, how, how that's possible? I would love to know.
0: All right. The big. I'm, I'm sure someone knows.
1: Because you make an excellent point. Like, why would then it spoil Ever. very quickly in your house? Yeah. Unless it's kept under certain conditions until it gets to your house. And then it's like, I can finally die. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Because you bought me. (laughs) Uh, So back to Lunchables. The sales were going gangbusters, but they were still losing money on it because it was just an expensive product to package. Uh, Those little trays and everything cost money. Right, Um, And then they just started to run wild with adding things to make a... Increased sales. They started adding desserts to it. They started adding sugary drinks to them. Um, Capri Sun. Yeah. Kool-Aid, Capri Sun. Um, and then they started marketing. Uh, they tried things like carrots, but they didn't sell well. So they scrapped it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they started realizing that we should market to children. Yeah. And not moms anymore because what they figured out was that it was about the kids having control because the kids would go and throw out the carrots. And just eat the meat and cheese, let's say, or in the, the little Reese's cup that went in there. Right. Uh, and so they started marketing to children with commercials like, all day you got to do what they say,
1: but lunchtime is all yours. Yep. And little <laughs> kids on Saturday mornings are like, lunchtime is all mine. Yeah. With Lunchables. And they wanted it. So they would go to the store and scream at the top of their lungs until they got it.
0: The other interesting thing was what Which, which
1: also, one other thing, uh-huh. I guarantee you, and I haven't verified this, but I guarantee you that if you go to the store and you find Lunchables, they're at a child's eye level. Oh, I'm sure they I'll are. bet that's where they're placed. Not mom eye level, child eye level.
0: Yeah, I think they're on the um, the, the horizontal part of the meat section. Yes. Like not built vertically up on a shelf. I right. think they're down even below the kid where they can even grab it.
1: Yeah, and run out of the store with it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, the other interesting thing, I think it was in this article when they talked about what's happened to yogurt over the years. <laughs> was that in here? Yeah. Where basically they hijacked, uh, something that should be good for you. And now you get like twice the amount of sugar your body needs in a serving yeah. of yogurt these days. Like
1: Heath bar sprinkles.
0: Yeah. That's <laughs> not healthy. <laughs> yeah. And now let's put it, let's put it in a squeezy tube
1: for kids yeah, and call it Gogurt. Or call it Gogurt. Yeah. Um, this article was really great. I mean, this guy really laid it out. Um just the ideas behind it, the thinking behind it, the science behind it. It's a really long article and it's really, really worth reading. Um one of the other things he goes into is that there's this um uh this food scientist who's kind of like a legend. I think his last name is Moskowitz. Yeah. Um he's just a legend in this field and he figured out very early on that he see the optimizer? Yeah. Yeah. He figured out that um not only does your tongue like detect fat and say, okay, you've had enough fat, stop eating this. That, that has to be tricked. It does the same thing with flavor, too. Uh-huh. So um, if there's a really overt and obvious flavor that oh, might yeah. taste delicious, you get sick of it faster. Mm-hmm. So what this guy figured out and what food scientists now do is they'll take flavors and combine other flavors so one isn't dominant so that there's no real flavor for the tongue to be like, I'm sick of this. So Doritos are a really good example. Like yeah. nacho Doritos is its own flavor. Mm-hmm. It's not just garlicky. It's not just cheesy. It's this thing that they put together that tricks your tongue into never being satiated. Yeah. Which is how you can down a whole bag of Doritos.
0: Yeah. It was so interesting. And so much research goes into this when they start talking about the amount of consumer study they did. and, and uh, Oh, yeah like thousands and thousands of hours of people tasting things uh, and taking notes on what they're tasting and basically creating a, a mathematical formula right. for how to create the perfect thing that you won't want to stop eating.
1: And not just for people, for this age group or this age group right. of this ethnicity or yeah. whatever. Like it's really down to a science. All of this just to come up with cherry, vanilla, Dr. Pepper.
0: Yeah. Uh and the other thing too was um the remember how I railed about all the Doritos now, the different flavors?
1: Which I have no problem with that.
0: Well, I just thought it was interesting in that they basically food technicians at a certain point stopped worrying about new products and said the line extension is where it's at. Right. So instead of uh one type of Dorito, we'll offer you like twenty five different types.
1: Right. Rather than um, one type of Dorito and, like, an entirely new product. Right. Because apparently one of the hardest things in the world to do is to get people to buy a new product. Whereas if you already have the branding associated yeah. with it, the emotional attachment, people know it's tasty, they'll try a different version, an offshoot of it. Yeah. But not necessarily a whole new product that could be superior in every way. Uh,
0: and they spend as much as $30 million a year uh, on some of these products, not the company, but like on a specific food product, including things like machinery, a $40,000 machine that simulated a chewing mouth to test the perfect uh, break point of a potato chip.
1: Yeah. Which Instead is of, four pounds per square inch, I think.
0: Yeah. Four pounds of pressure per square inch.
1: And so they're not only spending money on research on advertising as well. This How Stuff Works article pointed out that um, in 2012, just McDonald's spent 2.7 times as much money on advertising as all fruit, vegetable, bottled water, and milk producers combined.
0: Yeah, I believe that. Totally. You don't see a lot of broccoli commercials. They're disgusting. (laughs) All right, we'll finish with something interesting that you sent uh, about the junk food diet. I think I'd heard of this before. Yeah. um, Where someone will undertake a diet of not only junk food... But a lot of junk food.
1: Oh, This guy's a nutritionist, like a a nutrition scientist from Kansas State. Go? Some sort of cat. Yeah. Like a a large
0: cat. (laughs) Go K-State large cat. K-State, yeah, some sort of big cat.
1: There you go.
0: All right, go big cats. Uh, Yeah, he went on a 10-week junk food diet. Um, Chocolate-covered snacks, cream-filled cakes, sugary cereals, cookies, chips, he did eat a protein shake every day and some vitamins and supplements and some veggies here and there, too. Hmm. And he lost a lot of weight yeah, doing it.
1: Because he he ate 1,800 calories a day, Yeah, which is a calorie-reduced diet. Right. But technically, as far as macronutrients goes, uh, it was a balanced diet, a balance between carbs, proteins, and fats. And yeah.
0: he lost a bunch of weight. He lost a bunch of weight. He lost uh, His BMI went down. His total body fat uh, was reduced. His cholesterol was reduced. Uh, The bad
1: cholesterol went down. The good cholesterol went up. Isn't that nuts? Eating junk food on a junk food diet. Yeah. I can see losing weight, like calories or calories. And there's a big debate about that. But I think ultimately that's what this thing shows. Mm -hmm. And if you reduce calories, it doesn't matter where your calories are coming from. You're going to lose weight. But to have your bad cholesterol go down and your good cholesterol go up was really surprising to me.
0: Yeah, and I think the main thing I took away, though, is this is the 10 week diet and uh, what happens over a 10 year period. Well, that, yeah. Who knows?
1: That was a great question. Yeah. Pretty interesting, though. Very interesting stuff. Mark Staub, I believe. Mark Hobb of K State. Go, big cats. Man. Sorry, K State. I know. That was lame, Chuck. That was lame. Uh, If you want to know more about junk food, you should type those words in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And check out um, the New York Times articles. There's some good ones on there. Check out the Encyclopedia of Junk Food and Fast Food. Actually, go to the podcast page for this episode, and it's got all that stuff. Uh, And I guess it's time for listening now.
0: Uh, Yeah, by the way, I just looked it up. I don't normally do that, but it's uh, Wildcat, so we were right. Willie the Wildcat is the actual master. We name.
1: said big cats, and it's a wildcat. Yeah, cats. Wildcats are not
0: super big, but...
1: They can be. Yeah. Like a lion's technically a Wildcat.
0: Oh, I guess I just think of like bobcats and things and mountain lions when I think of Wildcats. But a lion would be a Wildcat, right? Sure. They're huge. Huge. All right, I'm going to call this uh, Aborigines. Um, remember when the male puberty episode we talked about, um, the Aborigines had some pretty brutal... Puberty rights Mm -hmm. that they would put boys through. Um, We were taking a task a little bit in a nice way. Um, Guys, want to give you some feedback about the term in the Australian context. Uh, This is quite an outdated term to say Aborigines. Some people still identify with it, but it's generally accepted to say Indigenous Australians or Aboriginal Australians. Uh, There are hundreds of Aboriginal nations around Australia, each with their own traditions and knowledge. Within these nations are various clan and family groups, and within those... Or multiple types of kinship relationships. It gets really complicated. So that puberty ritual you mentioned would likely have only been practiced by some people. Uh, others would have had their own traditions. So in other words... Excellent point. We shouldn't have just said like, the Aborigines do this. Right. Because uh, it might have been like one small part of a tribe or something. That's
1: a very, very good point. Yeah. So that is from uh, Krista, uh, I assume, in Australia. Can you say it like an Australian? No. No. Krista. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> All right. Australian for Krista. Yeah. Um, if you want to take us to task in a nice way or otherwise, but we always prefer a nice way, um, we'd love to hear from you. You can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com StuffYouShouldKnow. You can send us an email to StuffPodcast at HowStuffWorks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, StuffYouShouldKnow.com. For more on this
0: and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Are you thirsty? Well, Richard's rainwater is caught clean before it even hits the ground. Rain is naturally pure, so there's no need for harsh chemicals or additives. Richard's rainwater contains no chlorine, no forever chemicals,